I'm coming to your cities. I recently did an event in New York. It was awesome. I loved bringing real couples up on stage. We had no idea what was going to happen. The crowd loved it. I was sharing real numbers. It was a blast. And I want to do it again. I'm looking to coach couples on stage at my next two live events, one in Philly on June 1st, one in Boston on June 4th. If you and your partner want help connecting over money, you want to solve a big financial challenge you have, please apply at iwt.com slash live coaching. If you and your partner struggle to come up with a shared vision of your rich life, if you have different priorities about spending and saving, if you just can't get on the same page financially, I would love to coach you live on stage in your city. It is free of charge. You can apply at iwt.com slash live coaching. I'll see you in Boston and Philly. Um, What the hell is going on on this podcast that like 80% of the people who come on here go through massive screening, fill out applications. They never actually read my book. Is anyone else puzzled by this? Look, a lot of the questions that you ask me about money are answered directly in I Will Teach You To Be Rich. How do you pay off your student loans? How do you automate your finances? Where do you start investing and how do you handle big purchases? I wrote this book as a six-week program so you can follow along on your own or with a partner. If you want to improve your finances, I recommend you get the I Will Teach You To Be Rich book. It has over 18,000 reviews on Amazon. Get it at iwt.com slash book. You're netting 80,000 a month and you're questioning my Audible $12 subscription every day? There's a problem here. You know, we file our, our taxes jointly and I had to sign for taxes recently. Couldn't believe my eyes. I didn't even know how much we made. I had to sign $175,000 per month. My yard is in shambles. There's no reason for this. When we fly, we fly as basic economy as we can. When we stay in hotels, it's the cheapest. I am cheap. I am frugal. I am cheap. There's no mistake about that. And the the real clincher here is that because he earns the money and physically has more access to the money, he, he directs it. He manages it. I do believe that he wants to change. I do believe that he realizes the damage that has been done. I'm not optimistic that he can actually do it. Hi, I'm Ramit Sethi, and welcome to the I Will Teach You Be Rich podcast. I recently got a message, and I have to read it to you. Here's what it said. We have a $10 million net worth and a $2.5 million income and we still share a Netflix password. Please help. My wife of 21 years is threatening divorce. Well, today I'd like you to meet Michelle and Charles. Both are in their early 50s, and as I looked into their numbers, they actually earn more than he initially mentioned. They make $3.1 million per year, mostly from a full-time job, but also from sitting on boards and investments. Their total assets are $11.3 million, with a couple million bucks in mortgages. And yet Charles is cheap. So cheap that his wife, Michelle, has threatened divorce. And on today's episode, you're going to hear about their landscaping, their travel, and their children's mattresses. This is one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had about money. As you listen to Michelle and Charles, it's going to be easy for you to get mad At some point today, you're going to scream out loud, if I was a multimillionaire, I would never worry about money. But I want you to stop thinking like that. When was the last time you actually heard real people with over $10 million talk about how they really feel? Never. First, we should congratulate Charles and Michelle for being courageous enough to talk to me. And second, the real lesson is that if you feel nervous or anxious, or fearful about money, you're still going to feel that way even when you have $10 million. One last thing. You can only hear conversations like this on the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast. So please, tell your friends about this. Now, let's get to it. Charles, you sent me a message recently, and I would like to read off the message Oh and asked what was going on when you sent that to me. So you wrote, we have a $10 million net worth and $2.5 million income, and we still share a Netflix password. 
please help in all caps. My wife of 21 years is threatening divorce. Charles, what was going on when you wrote that message to me? We were having a very toxic discussion about money. It's very argumentative. And I have my views about money. Michelle has her views about money. And I can frankly say that I have been unfair. I've been selfish. And I want you to help me in two ways. I want you to help me give me the tools to talk to my wife about money in an open and transparent way. And number two, I want you to teach me how to live a rich life. I know you say you can't help cheap people, but I am cheap. I am frugal. I am cheap. There's no mistake about that. And there are certain things that that I feel I don't want to spend money on, right? Like I, I, I bought a fancy car a couple of years ago, paid all cash. It's a fancy car. I'll invest in that. Like the car, it was more like luxury, right? I mean, is a, tes- is a Tesla luxury? Because I didn't look at that as luxury. I mean, he's a tech executive who bought a used <laughs> Tesla with the lowest battery power. That's not a luxury <laughs> to me. He, he originally signed up for the $35,000 Tesla until we found out what the actual body looked like. And then he like upgraded a little bit. This really sets the tone for today's episode. Charles thinks one thing, Michelle thinks another. Both of them are extremely confident about their perspectives. This isn't like talking to two people who are ignorant about money, shy to talk about it. Not at all. This is going to take a totally different approach from my end. Listen in. I paid a lot of money to renovate the garage to work out in his gym. I paid money for that. But I'm not going to pay more than a certain amount of money for a pair of jeans. I'll buy it from Costco, right? I don't value uh, the jeans or shoes, et cetera. There are probably more areas where I'm cheap and a lot less areas where I am I, a bit extravagant. You like being cheap? I don't. I think that it's been wearing on me because I tend to think about price and money too often. And I found myself distressing myself out too much. When you get a good deal, what does that feel like? It feels great. Like if I, if I, I'm an investor, when I get like a great, like rental property, I love it. Uh, when I get a great deal at, uh, I go to the dollar store, <laughs> I load up on good deals there. I just love the feeling, the fact that I got a good deal. You got a $10 million net worth. You walk into the dollar store. What are you getting in the dollar store, by the way? So the thing where I find good value in the dollar store is light bulbs, batteries, and frozen fruit for my smoothies. Uh, when I compare and comparison shop that at Whole Foods, it's almost 2X. I just have to make a guess. Is it blueberries that you're buying at the dollar store? Man, what is it about rich people and blueberries? Do you know how yep. many rich people I've talked to who will not pay more for blueberries? This is crazy. All right, we're going to have to get into that another time, but there's right. something going cosmic going on here. <laughs> okay, so you walk out, you got your bag with your light bulb and your blueberries, and what are you feeling when you walk out of there after making a $7 purchase that otherwise would have been $21 somewhere else? It's that feeling of, 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 of money well spent, right? It's not wasted. And so I, I feel that like I cringe whenever Michelle throws food away because it's money down the drain. I have a suspicion here. I want to know about the people around him. Like who is he sharing this feeling of getting a good deal with? Who's reinforcing it? Is Michelle in on it too? And do you share that feeling with anybody else? What do you mean? Like, do you come home and tell Michelle, oh my God, look at this deal I got? Or is it just for you? I, I tell Michelle often, but she just doesn't quite like get as excited <laughs> as I do. So I'll tell my other friends, like I got some college buddies out here that my deals with and they, they really... They appreciate it more than Michelle does. Michelle, I'm curious to hear what it's like when Charles comes home with this bag of light bulbs and tells you about the price that he got on it. Have you had this experience before? Initially, when he would come home from the dollar store, I would just kind of laugh and, you know, just chalk it up as, you know, that's another notch of his cheapness. And I I would, you know, swear that I would never do that. (laughs) I mean, I'm a whole foods kind of girl. But ironically, I went one day <laughs> and I was, uh-huh, kind of, uh-huh. <laughs> I was kind of, wow, this, this is a good deal. But there's a caveat. It depends on what you get, because to me, there's a, co- you know, cheap at what cost. So there are certain things that were just not brand names that, it, you know, there was a cost to that. Frozen fruit, you can get, that's the same everywhere. But um, even though there was a good feeling for it, it was on very few items. And I just figured, you know what, that doesn't affect me if he wants to shop dollar store, that's fine. 
It's not something that I want to do on a regular basis, but I wasn't as affected on that as I, or I, as I am on other things. When I have these conversations, I'm always looking for a clue that's going to open up something deeper. It's like finding a secret entrance in Super Mario. If I find it, it can take me to that secret underworld where the real truth is. You know, I suspected that Charles's cheapness might be motivated by people around him, but that's not it. So when you're talking about money with your partner, it takes a lot of gentle searching for clues. But notice, if you can't find it, just move on. That's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to switch approaches, and I'm going to try to find out when this started affecting their relationship. Before marriage. So the night before our marriage, so we're planning the wedding, and everyone's responsible for whatever thing, and he comes to me the night before the wedding and says, did you bring your checkbook? I'm like, no. And all the frenzy, how can I forget? How can I bring my checkbook? And I was like, why? He's like, because you have to pay the, the, the musicians. I'm like, what difference does it make? We're getting married tomorrow. And that stuck with me. I, am, I almost called the wedding off because I just felt like who we're getting married. We're going from separate to joint. Why would he ask for my checkbook? And so it, that's been the theme for 21 years, sometimes I refer back to that, like the checkbook moment, and um, that, that's that been a problem. So it, this started very early. For me, there was never enough being with my husband. We were always, it felt like we were always in deficit. So even though most people are broke in college, I don't think he was broke. I think I was the only broke one. He He's never been broke in the sense of like lack of money. I think it was just this feeling of we don't have enough, we don't have enough. But the numbers always showed that we did have enough. He would always make me feel and put this buzz in my ear that it's not enough. We don't have enough money. We have to be more frugal. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. I think that looking back, I, I had more of a scarcity mindset as opposed to an abundance mindset. But I think that the biggest difference was like, I, I always, I'm very intentional. And so in my mind, if there's no agreement or a plan on how to, how to spend the money, then there's no cap. And so I get worried. And so if you say we're going to spend 100 bucks on groceries or whatever, then that's 100 bucks. I'm, I'm good with that. If you say, I don't want to agree on that, I'm going to spend whatever I want, I'm going to be nervous. Because yeah, every expense, like, I'm, when is this going to end? And so that's kind of what led to, I guess, the friction between, you know, spending plan, no spending plan being frugal and kind of having that scarcity mindset. There was never, in my mind, agreed upon plan and how we want to spend the money. There are so many insights in what we just heard. Michelle mentioned that she's felt this sense of scarcity since the day they got married. When you're young and you don't have much money, that makes sense. But a lot of us hope that once we're more financially comfortable, that scarcity will change. What you're learning is that simply adding more money doesn't automatically change your feelings about money. Then you heard Charles say that he wants a plan. He used words like worried or I'm going to spend whatever I want. Notice how emotionally charged these ideas are. Nervous, friction. When is this ever going to end? Also notice how it's all focused on what can go wrong, but it's never focused on what can go right. And $10 million later, he still feels the same. If you ever follow me on Instagram, sometimes you'll see me post about my behind-the-scenes travel experiences, coffee tours, salsa-making classes in Mexico, all kinds of culinary stuff in India. And I'll get a lot of people saying, where do I find that Kyoto notepad maker that you found? And one place you can find that is Viator. In fact, my wife and I used Viator to book a Segway tour where we took a tour of a new city and we had an amazing experience, something we never would have thought of doing on our own. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. And with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everybody. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real travel reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best travel activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. 
I get tons of email every single day, and I want to give you a behind-the-scenes look at how I manage emails from my team, from my family, and from you. I use a piece of software called Superhuman, and this is an email software that I actually pay for out of my own pocket. It works with your existing email service like Gmail or Outlook. And let me share how it saves me over 10 hours a week. So here are a few things I love about it. First off, it splits my inbox into different streams. So my important emails come into one place. It's not cluttered with a bunch of subscriptions everywhere. Next, I use keyboard shortcuts. Unlike you barbarians who literally click and peck through every single email. U to market unread, S to star it, J or K to cycle through messages. I use keystrokes to schedule messages, like when I want to ask one of my coworkers a question, but I don't want to send them an email on a Saturday. Now, I can work through dozens of emails in minutes using this. And Superhuman just introduced an AI feature, which allows you to take a huge email with all these people chiming in and automatically summarize what's going on in a few bullet points. It'll even draft emails for you. So if you want to buy back your time, Superhuman is a no-brainer to me. It's something I spend my own money on, and I love it. Right now, all IWT listeners will get a free month of Superhuman. You can get started at superhuman.com slash Ramit. That's superhuman.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. Okay, let's play this out for a second. Mm -hmm. Let's take jeans. Yep. I'm going to give you a couple different plans, and you tell me how you feel about it. Okay. All right, we're going to spend 50 bucks on your next pair of jeans. How do you feel? It's okay. Seems okay. Okay. Uh, we're going to spend $250 on your next jeans. I don't think it's worth it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Why is that? I think that that's, that doesn't feel like a good way to spend 250 bucks. I'd rather spend it someplace else. Like what? Uh, I've been looking to get to some, uh, AirPod pros, okay. uh, to help with my, with my conference calls at work. And so I'd prefer to, to spend money on that and then go without jeans. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we'll get you the AirPods and the $250 jeans. How do you feel about that? Again, I think the AirPods may be worth it, but the jeans it just seems like it's a waste of money. Okay. Okay. So it's not the plan. It's the amount as well. I think so, yeah. Because I just gave you a plan. I told you exactly how much right. we're going to spend. Mm -hmm. You did. You were not having it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. The, the most dangerous three words that I've heard for 21 years is in my mind. It's whatever he makes up in his mind. So in his mind, $50, $250 is too much for jeans. It's not based on anything. It's not based on him shopping and seeing the different range. It's not based on, you know, analysis reports on jeans. It's just in his mind, that's too much. So he has like an internal compass of what things should cost versus what they really cost or mm -hmm. what the quality of it really costs. You ever heard stories about people who go out with their parents and they go to dinner and their parents are still tipping like 5% or 10%. And you're just like, no, dad, we can't do that anymore. Here, I'm going to slip an extra 20. Uh, have you ever heard stories like that? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Do you think that that's possible for your internal compass around things like jeans? Yes and no. I think that there's, there's two parts to it. One is the internal compass could be updated, but I think that there's certain things that I just don't put value on and certain things that I do. And so, and so I think it's a combination of both of those things. That was a very good answer from Charles. It was very logical what he said. Did you catch it? Hey, sure. I could probably update my internal compass, but also I just value certain things and I don't value other things. Sounds so logical, right? That comment would slide by 90% of people. But there's just one problem. Charles's wife is about to divorce him. All the logic in the world is not working. Watch me now as I sharpen my questions so that he starts to truly internalize the consequences of his beliefs. Fair enough. I agree also. There are certain things I just don't care about. And some people look at me like, why would you not buy that? You can easily afford it. I just don't care. Right. It's not important to me. Exactly. So my question, Charles, is what is the cost of your beliefs? I think it's costing me quite a bit because I think that uh, I, I want to have a partner 
in my marriage when it comes to the money and the investments. I want to I want to be able to work with somebody to do that. And my beliefs have caused a huge wedge between my wife and I. And so it's costing me quite a bit. It's costing me harmony in my home. It's costing me my wife's happiness. And it's cost, costing me a lot of stress. And so that's why I'm trying to, trying to figure this out. So it's costing me quite a bit. I hope it's not too late, but I want to turn this around. I, I want to loosen the purse strings. I want to start to, to provide my wife with the things that she wants. That, and, um, and I've been trying to do this on my own, but I've been having trouble. Like, for example, I tried to do your $100 challenge to turn it to a $1,000 challenge, and I failed miserably. I couldn't find anything to, to, to spend 1000 bucks on. You couldn't find anything to spend $1,000 on? No, I like, failed. Gosh. Yeah. His idea of spending is spending to make more money. And then yeah. make more money. I'm constantly saying, like, why do you need more money? Oh, because I want to invest, make more money. Well, why do you need that? Why do you need that? At some point, you die, and you're just doing this to give it away to other people. So his beliefs, if he were a single guy, would be fantastic. It's his beliefs. He can do what he wants. It's his money, value. All that can be his. The problem is that we're married. And what he finds, what his beliefs are, he doesn't realize that they affect me immensely. So... They have, I mean, literally to the point where it's broken my spirit. I mean, the reason why we're coming to you now is because after all these years, it's just too much. I mean, I, I remember another podcast you did and you asked them to rate it from zero to 10. We're at a nine and we've been in a nine and a half for, for many years, maybe the last 10 years. And I just can't take it anymore. And so even though he was the one who initiated the call, I was totally on board because we just need some guidance. And um We've talked in therapy. It just, it always ends with the same mindset that he has. You have children? We have kids, yes. Teenagers. Do you think that them getting ready to start thinking about college is perhaps also bringing this more to the surface? In my, for me, yes, because my, my kids have seen uh, my cheapness. They'll, if you ask them if I'm cheap, daddy's cheap, they'll say, yes, he is. And I don't want that to taint how they view and think about money as well. And so I try to give them the right kind of tools, like accounts and talk about investments, et cetera. But I don't want my cheapness and my issues to kind of rub off on them. So that's part of why I want to try and get this resolved so uh, they can really um, get a, have a good chance at being good with, uh, with money. And I have a different perspective. So I, on money, I want them to know how to live abundantly. I want them to know that their hard work has a payoff. I want them to, to, be, to be able to live life where, yes, they can save and understand money, but at the same time, they could do things um, that they otherwise could not do. It is really, really hard for people to turn the page in their rich life. Let me explain what I mean. For highly successful people like Charles, all of their skills of saving and investing and planning and optimizing got them to the top of the mountain. So from the outside, you look at them and you say, you made it. Why are you agonizing over $200 jeans? But to them, they see the very skills that got them here as identical with themselves. They can't separate the desire for success from themselves. So I can sit here and repeat, turn the page. What's your rich life? It doesn't mean anything to Charles yet. Michelle can even say, I'm about to divorce you. And it still doesn't really hit home. This identity is deeper than money. It's deeper than relationships. It goes to the very core of who Charles is. By the way, I sometimes ask people on my newsletter, what would you do if you had $100 million? The answers are so fucking depressing. Half of them say, I'm already living a great life. I wouldn't change a thing. I know they're trying to signal that they're happy but I consider this almost a criminal lack of imagination to not know what you would do with essentially unlimited money, not even a single amazing trip, not even taking your family to create an unforgettable memory. I'm not impressed. Half of the people respond, pay off my house, then invest the rest. For what? You fucking won the game. You have a hundred million dollars and now you want to invest more? These are the kinds of answers people give when they haven't really thought through their rich life, when they haven't given themselves room to dream. Now, there's just one more catch with Charles here. He actually has that kind of money. 
and yet he can't stop making more of it. A few years ago, I was at a tea tasting in New York with one of my buddies. I thought it was going to be a normal tea tasting. Suddenly, six people from Japan come in. They pour basically three thimblefuls of tea, and we taste it. I've never tasted anything like that. And they tell us, if we were to buy that, just the three thimblefuls, it would be $75. Now, drop for drop, that's the most expensive thing I've ever had to drink. Not all of us have the time or the money to buy that specific tea from that specific mountainside in Japan. But what if you could capture that feeling of the care and the love, even the way that they served it to us? What if you could bring that to your home every morning? Well, I want to introduce you to one of our newest sponsors, Peak Tea. What makes Peak Tea special is that the tea is cold extracted using only wild harvested leaves from 250-year-old tea leaves. That makes the tea rich in minerals, and other beneficial compounds. Now, the greatest part is that peak tea is zero prep. There's no tea bag that you have to steep for the perfect amount of time. Peak dissolves in cold or hot water in seconds. It's already pre-measured, it's perfectly brewed, and it's perfect to take if you travel. My team's been trying peak tea, and they especially love the Pu'er green teas. For a limited time, get up to 15% off and a free quiver with 12 tea samples with my link, peaklife.com slash Ramit. That's P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E dot com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. I have a friend of mine who's always cold. She told me she and her partner have totally different temperatures when they sleep. She goes to bed in a flannel pajama. She's got extra blankets. Her partner's running hot. So now she recently started testing the pod cover from 8sleep, one of our sponsors. Before she goes to sleep, she gets on the app, cranks up the heat, and when she gets into bed at night, it's already warm and waiting for her. The pod cover by 8sleep fits on your bed like a fitted sheet, and it collects information. It has sensors. The pod then uses that information to understand what you need to get better sleep. You can set it to heat up or cool down before you get into bed. It also adjusts while you sleep. And you can set it to change temperatures to gently wake you up in the morning. Best part, there are two zones. So if you run hot and your partner runs cold, you can each set your side of the bed to exactly how you want it. Improve the way you sleep by using my link at 8sleep.com slash Ramit for $200 off plus free shipping on their high-tech pod three cover. That's 8sleep.com slash Ramit. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T for a better, smarter sleep. I think the part where we vastly differ is um, on spending it. I mean, we're accurate on how to save it and why save it, but there's a big divide on spending, how to spend, what to spend it on, why spend it on these things. Yeah, there is. I'm hearing so much focus, Charles, on saving and accumulating and compounding. And and you've done a fantastic job of that. Uh, I do hear a lot of excitement when you talk about the light bulbs and the blueberries and getting a good value. Love that excitement. I'm not hearing any real joy aside from a couple of things like the gym on how to spend the money. It's financial freedom, right? At some point, uh, I want to be able to, to go into my next chapter and work on more passion projects. Uh, and retire from my full-time job. I'm not sure when that's going to be, but that's part of the, the the mission that I've been on is to get to financial freedom so I can kind of go to my next chapter. And that's the piece that gets me really excited. So you did it. Did you know you succeeded? I think that I'm, I'm I think I'm close. <laughs> yeah. How close? Well, there's, there's a lot of factors to consider, but, but, uh, but I think I'm, I'm very close. I think that the, one of the biggest question marks in my mind is when I talk to Michelle about what does our risk life look like? And she starts talking about that. And I start seeing dollar signs. I start seeing, hearing, I want to fly first class. I want to buy a huge house. I want to stay in, in the Western United States in a high cost geography. And I'm saying, okay, well, my, my initial plans were, were X, her plans are 1.5 X. And so that's the thing that, uh, that is, it's currently, so unless we get an agreement and alignment on what that rich life looks like, it's going to be hard for me to, to, to pencil it out. Why don't we just do it right now? Well, let's just do it right now. Here's, we'll keep it very high level. Here's the thing before we do it. That's okay. exactly why I haven't done it because it's not, <laughs> it doesn't stop there. 
it, it's not, here are my five things that I'd like to do. Great, we'll do it. Because there's two problems with that. One is it's set in stone. So if I give you five things right now that I'd like to do, that's my rich life, that's it. There shouldn't be, there can't be a single dollar spent anywhere else. And number two, the minute I spit out the first one, he has a problem with it because it's like, oh my God, that's spending money on something that I would not otherwise spend money on. And then also the few things that he just mentioned, first class and, and the big house, those are false. Those are things that he hears. The reality is I'm tired of sitting smashed in the middle every time you go on a, a vacation. I just want better comfort. Not I got to fly first class just because it's first class. The truth is I want to live on the West Coast because A, that's where we're, we're from and B, that's where my children are and they'll probably stay here after college. So the, 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 there's, some, there's some truth behind his statements that, that come across like, well, gee, this woman is crazy. She wants to actually live in a big house. Yeah, I do. I do. I think we've both worked hard. And yeah, I do. I'm not ashamed of that. But you want to travel first class? Yep, I do. We've, worked, we've been married 21 years and it's about time after fl- flights after four hours, we're in business or first class. So it, it, again, it's that negative spin to it. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, I want to do that. What's wrong with that? What I'm hearing... What I heard from Michelle was that my inflexibility, and that's fair. I'm a very planful guy. I like to stick to a plan. And so, but I'm trying to convince Michelle that, hey, I've learned to be more flexible and we're not going to, it's not going to be set in stone, but I think that, but let's be thoughtful about putting a plan together. Don't just kind of spit out numbers or or ideas. Let's be thoughtful and make sure that something you, you put forward is something that you put some thought into. Okay. Before we go on, are you seeing... Michelle's reaction right now. Nope, I can't see it. What is she doing? She's shaking her head. Why okay. do you think she's shaking her head? Just rewind mm-hmm. back to what you just said. Okay. What, what did you say in that sentence again? Try to say it out loud. Okay, I said that I, I'm trying to be more flexible, not set in stone, and but I wanted to put some thought into what she's trying to do. Maybe she, she took it as she's not being thoughtful, and that's not what I what I meant. But I just I just feel that sometimes she spits out numbers. Okay, hold on, I, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna pause you right there. So you had two parts of that sentence. Mm-hmm. I want to convince her that I am more flexible. That was part one, right. and then part two was, but started with a but. I think you know we should run our numbers and we should be thoughtful and planful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those mm-hmm. two parts, which part, part one or part two, do you think that she started shaking her head at? Uh, part two. Yeah. Cause she, I think she may be offended at my, my thinking that she's not being thoughtful or planful, mm-hmm. et cetera. I think she may think mm-hmm. that she is thoughtful about what she says. And, and what is the implication of you needing to remind your wife of 21 years that you both need to be thoughtful? What's the implication there? I think the implication is that uh, is she's she's not she has not been thoughtful and and uh, she's you know um, hasn't put any thought into what she's what she's trying to do. If you were to say, "Hey, babe, you make the plan for the vacation. Here's the checkbook. What is the implication that what would she do with that checkbook? That she's going to spend a bunch of money thoughtlessly, like. A- huge amount, like an amount of money that's going to set you back in the poorhouse. Do you think she would do that? I don't think she would do that intentionally, but I think that, uh, that, uh, she could or has spent money in ways that I thought that should not, we not, should not have spent in, in those ways. Do you think there is a vacation that the two of you could go on? Do you think there's an amount she could spend that would materially affect your finances negatively? No. Say it again. Say it in a full sentence so you hear that yourself. I don't think it's possible for Michelle to spend money on one vacation that would materially impact our finances. However, I agree. Uh, if- uh, 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 just stop, <laughs> stop right there. Just stop right there. I'm going to save you from yourself. Okay. Trust me. This is, I'm saving you. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm saving all of us right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. I had to stop him from some long monologue that he was about to go on. And two things just happened right there. One you could see and one you could not. First, Charles acknowledged that there is literally no amount Michelle could spend on a vacation that would materially affect their finances. To put it another way, she could plan a $500,000 trip 
and they would make that much money back in a few months in interest alone. But you'll notice how I had to almost drag this out of him. Even when he admitted it, he felt he had to caveat it, to cover his bases, to explain. This is true of a lot of logical people. They feel they need to cover every contingency. Second, I wish you could have seen Michelle's face. She looked so sad. She looked frustrated. The problem with needing to dot every I and cross every T, and I'm talking to all you logical dorks out there who feel the need to explain and show the math and ROI of every life decision. The problem is that nobody likes being told all the things you might do wrong. Especially when you've been someone's partner for 21 years. Michelle is looking for a little partnership here. A little trust. To focus on what can go right instead of only focusing on what can go wrong. You know, I belong to a small group of CEOs. One time we were on a retreat and I was telling them about some upcoming review I was going to have with one of my coworkers. And they asked me, how good is this guy? I said, he's great. 90% of his work is excellent. And they said to me, okay, then in your call, spend 90% of the time on the positive. (laughs) This totally blew my mind because as a guy who used to be a logical dork, I still have remnants of it in my mind. Here's what I was planning to do. I was going to spend five minutes praising him and complimenting him on the good work, and then 55 minutes going through constructive feedback. What a fucking mistake that would have been. Michelle has been subjected to literally decades of constructive criticism, of being warned about all the things that can go wrong, of listening to Charles's fears about money. But she's been a good partner. She hasn't asked for anything over the top. So you can understand the sadness, the anger, and the resignation that I saw in her face. Okay. So we start there. We can agree on that. Let's put the plan part of it aside. Let's just put that financial part of it aside. Is Michelle a good mom? She's a great mom. She a good wife? Excellent wife. Good partner? Very good partner. How come... In your statements, the two-parter, you give her the warning of what she might do wrong. Where's that coming from? I I think it's coming from because we approach things differently, Mm -hmm. right? Talk to me about yourself. You. So so I I approach things maybe too much so in a very analytical, planful, intentional way. Mm -hmm. I do my homework. I'm very punctual. I build spreadsheets to make sure I know what's going on. And, and, and that's what I do. Maybe overkill, but that, that's what I do. I think Michelle is very spontaneous. And she's very much has a, uh, a gut that tells her to do this and do that. And she's oftentimes right. Uh, and so, but it could be a, a scary ride because it, like Michelle's approach is, is a scarier ride for me because I'm not sure where she's, <laughs> where she's going and where we're going to end up. But if you look back on it, she always ends up in the, in the reason in the right spot. Who's more adventurous out of the two of you? Michelle. Yeah. If you were left to your own devices, Charles, would you sort of do the same thing day in and day out? I like routine. You, you know, you remind me a lot of myself because I also love the plans. Mm-hmm. I love the spreadsheets. I like to map it all out. And Mm -hmm. actually that has helped me to become successful. Mm -hmm. So in a way I look at it, I say, well, that's a strength. I can't fly by the seat of my pants like these other people. That would be crazy. And and then it becomes reflexive. Mm -hmm. My skills made me successful. Therefore, I need to lean on my skills. Mm -hmm. All that's true. I'm hearing a lot of that from you. There's just one problem. My skills can also be very destructive to the people around me because I'm naturally analytical, utilitarian. When I was in my early 20s, I didn't even put a frame on anything on the wall. I was like, why would I? It's a waste of money. I'll just hang up a poster. Then I met my wife, who's spontaneous, more adventurous, 
And it was, I, I just want to talk about the spreadsheet all day. <laughs> I said, let's get into the spreadsheet. Let's talk compound interest. This is great. And okay, you know, that took some time and all that. But there's a cost to sharing your analytical views all the time. There's a cost to looking at the world only through an analytical lens. I think the cost is you miss out on some really good experiences, right? So for example, we always tend to plan out our vacations. This one time we didn't plan out this vacation to Los Angeles and it was Michelle, Michelle's doing and she wanted to not plan it. And we had like one of the best days. You know, we kind of went to a museum here, ate something on, on the street corner here. And if, you, if you're so planful about everything, you're going to miss out on those spontane- spontaneous, magical moments. Charles and I spent some time talking about money lenses. Let me explain that concept to you. Imagine you're wearing a pair of glasses. Everything you see in the world comes through those lenses. So if I asked you, what's your money lens? What would you say? The most common money lens is cost. This is how most people view the world. They focus on cost first. How much is it going to cost? Charles uses a money lens that's more commonly used by highly educated people. ROI. He wants value. He loves analytics. A lot of tech guys use these money lenses. But there are also other money lenses. There's experience, which could be an amazing restaurant or a sunset trip to the beach. There's relationships, like my friend who hosts people at his house all the time. There's security, like knowing you can call someone to fix your car. My wish for you is to treat money lenses like different instruments in an orchestra. You would never only have one instrument. You would never only have a trombone. I don't know. I'm a little out of my league since I don't know anything about orchestras. Basically, you would never play with just one instrument. Yet so many of us do this for our entire lives. And there's a real cost to seeing everything through one lens. For Charles, he's always crunching numbers, always looking for more value. And it really rubs his wife the wrong way. Sometimes you can just do something for another money lens. Sometimes there's another money lens you can use. Pure desire. I'm going to do this because I want to. Once you have a large enough net worth, you should be a master of many of these money lenses. Listen as you hear Michelle's response now. What do you call someone who speaks three languages? Trilingual. What do you call someone who speaks two? Bilingual. And what do you call someone who speaks one language? American. Listen, imagine you're going to Mexico or Italy or Thailand this year. Wouldn't it be amazing to at least ask where the bathroom is in the local language or to say thank you when you're walking out of a restaurant? This fall, you can start speaking a new language with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Here's a special limited time deal for IWT listeners to help you get started right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription only for IWT listeners at babbel.com slash Ramit. Get 55% off babbel.com slash Ramit. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Ramit. Rules and restrictions may apply. Let's have a pleasant discussion about some of the worst things in the world. One of them, finding a doctor. First of all, you realize, oh, I got a problem but you don't know if you need to call a dermatologist or a podiatrist. So you just start calling everybody. Half of them aren't even there. They don't even pick up the phones. Then when you finally get somebody on the phone, you're like, hey, I have this thing. They go, oh, okay, cool. We can see you in July. Then you ask them, are you in network? Half of them aren't. And you're spending three days just making phone calls. What if there was actually a better way to find a doctor? Check out our sponsor, ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doctor you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting on the phone with a receptionist. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. 
The typical wait time to see a doctor is between 24 to 72 hours. You can even book same-day appointments. If I need to book a doctor and I wanted it to be convenient and I wasn't sure where to start, I would try ZocDoc. So go to ZocDoc.com slash Ramit and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Ramit. ZocDoc.com slash Ramit. The house is my biggest thing. The house. Maintaining it, beautifying it, make it making it comfortable, um, making it comfortable for what for my family and friends. But the problem is it's not. And then another thing that I, I kind of picked up as, as Charles was talking is it's what he finds valuable. It's what he finds pleasure in. So when we talk about the Tesla, that's that benefited him solely. When we talk about the garage remodel, that benefits him solely. So the disconnect comes when it benefits him. It doesn't benefit him in any kind of way. That's when the friction happens. So he could care less about furniture in the living room, could care less. That's our friction. And it's everything to me. He could care less about landscaping, could care less, but it's everything to me. And the, the real clincher here is that because he earns the money and physically has more access to the money, he, he directs it. He manages it. So mine is just a wish. His, his desires are actually played out because he physically earns it and doesn't view this as our money. Is that true, Charles? Do you view it as your money or both of your money? I view it as our money. I think earlier in my marriage, I, I was much more selfish with the money, but I've tried to make amends and try to be more open with her. For example, I created this spreadsheet that shows her, here's where all the money is, here's all the passwords, she has, she has access to it. I try to get her to sit down and, and talk about different things that I do. Because before, I would make an investment without talking to her about it. Now I'm trying to, 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 to really just say, hey, hey, Michelle, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think, et cetera. I try to talk to her more about it, but, but it still is very much one-sided and I want to correct that. Okay. Okay. I appreciate that. I'm hearing you. And I can see that you are. So clearly you, you've probably talked about this before. I'm sure it's been a hot topic of discussion. Charles, it sounds like Michelle wants to get some furniture. What has your approach been with this furniture that she wants to get? So my first approach was, okay, when I hear her ideas, I start to hear, see the cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. So I said, okay, for the next 12 months, let's just, let's just kind of outline what do you want to do to the house for the next 12 months? And then let's plan for that. So there's no like big surprise. Like the thing that, that I don't like as much is like in May, let's do this. In June, let's do this. In August, let's do this. And it just starts adding up. And so when I kind of come to her and say, listen, we can do this stuff in the house. Let's, have, let's lay out a, a plan for 12 months. And that's when the, Michelle cringes and doesn't want to do it. And that's what causes the strife. She would love if I said, honey, you have a blank checkbook, do what you want. Is that true, Michelle? I would love him to take the, enough money that he needs. He said he needs 150000 Take it. Give me the rest. I mean, literally, like you only need $150,000. you are netting 80000 a month. And you're questioning my Audible $12 subscription every day? There's a problem here. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we file our, our taxes jointly. And I had to sign for taxes recently. Couldn't believe my eyes. I didn't even know how much we made. I had to sign $175,000 per month. My yard is in shambles. There's no reason for this. When we fly, we fly as basic economy as we can. When we stay in hotels, like he said, it's the cheapest. Now, we're not in Motel 6 and we're not, you know, it's in dire straits, but it's probably the, the quality if we made $100,000 a year. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is we make more. The reason why I'm not giving a list is because it comes down to the words that he said before, convincing, being thoughtful, being planful. I'm all those things. I'm analytical as well. I plan, I research, I, I weigh the and measure. I, I don't just willy-nilly just say, hey, I want to buy a couch today. I'm, in this, I'm, I'm doing research, et cetera. So, but those words are unacceptable and they shut me down. And when I hear those, I'm like, I'm not giving you a list because the minute I say, let's do this, that's not being thoughtful. That's not being planful. Well, I'm just saying it. Give me a chance to think it out. But 
so, so these are issues that um, everything that he's saying is fantastic. They make sense. They're, they're logical. But in reality, it doesn't play out like that. Do you think that it's going to happen? I don't know because I do believe that he wants to change. I do believe that he realizes the damage that has been done. I'm not optimistic that he can actually do it. I, I haven't seen change in this area of money. It's often the things that make us successful in the first place that turn around and cost us everything. Charles has been very financially successful, and yet he's taken it too far. He's become cheap. He's become disconnected from what really matters. His wife is frustrated, maybe beyond saving. Now, the good news is that they both came to me open-mindedly, willing to listen and potentially change. And as I started having this conversation with him, I saw how much there is to unpack with Charles and Michelle. The first and the big elephant in the room is that cheapness is one of the most difficult afflictions to change. You know why? Because deep down, cheap people don't really think it's a problem. They'll often shroud their behavior in all kinds of positive phrases. Well, you know, I'm a conscious spender. There's certain things I care about, certain things I don't. I would never spend on that. But when you zoom out and you ask them, what is your philosophy on money costing you? Well, suddenly they have to start to acknowledge that friends aren't inviting them out as much, that they're accumulating a huge amount in their checking account and they have no idea what to do with it. In this case, Charles has to acknowledge that his wife is extremely unhappy. It becomes clear that this is a much, much more complex psychological issue than the amount of money in a savings account. I have a lot more to talk about with Charles and Michelle. This conversation continues and it winds and turns on next week's episode. I'm Ramit Sethi and I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I'm Ramit Sethi. Please follow the show on Apple Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find our entire back catalog of podcast episodes, go to iwt.com slash podcast. I'm giving away a signed copy of my book. Send me a screenshot. Show me that you're following my podcast on Apple or Spotify, and I'll pick one listener to send a free signed copy of my book right out to you. Here's what you'll find next week on the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast. I do believe that he wants to change. I do believe that he realizes the damage that has been done. I'm not optimistic that he can actually do it. I, I haven't seen change in this area of money. My entire, I get it. Yeah. I get it. You're cautious yeah. about yeah. hope. Exactly. I get that. Exactly. Exactly.